You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Wednesday, March 8th edition of the Grand Junction Daily Sentinel. My name is Lori. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. Beetle Battle, written by Dennis Webb. City Council Candidates Talk Priorities at Forum, written by Sam Klomhaus. Survivors of Deadly Mexico Abduction Return to America, written by the AP. Candidate Question and Answer, written by the Sentinel staff. Garco Sheriff Cleared of Campaign Finance Complaint. Grand Junction High School Wins Quiz Bowl State Title. Team B Takes Second, written by Nathan Deal. 26 Road Shooting Victim Identified, written by the Sentinel Staff. And Council Approved 17.5 Acre Annexation Near Central High School, written by Sam Klomhaus. There's a lot to read today, but we will also try to read the four letters to the editor, the death notices, and take a peek at the weather. The top story in today's paper is Beetle Battle, County Seeking Homeowner Consent to Treat Lawns and Stem Beetle Threat. And it was written by Dennis Webb of the Grand Junction Sentinel. Mesa County residents can expect to hear a lot of buzz about a certain beetle this spring as the county government seeks public cooperation in trying to eradicate an outbreak that threatens not just people's lawns and gardens, but the local agricultural economy. The county is responding to an infestation of Japanese beetles discovered by the Colorado Department of Agriculture last year in the Appleton area of Grand Junction, in a region stretching roughly from Canyon View Park to Bookcliff Country Club, with the epicenter being in subdivisions near 26 Road. It is seeking permission from some 1,200 property owners in that area to treat their lawns with a pesticide at county expense to kill the beetle grubs in the turf. Otherwise, the county is asking property owners there to completely dry out their lawns between May and August to kill the grubs. County commissioners on Tuesday passed an ordinance declaring the insect to be a public nuisance and directing county staff to coordinate with industry to take emergency action to work on controlling and eradicating it. This could be just like a catastrophic event for our economy if we don't get a hold of it. Commissioner Bobby Daniel told the Daily Sentinel editorial board last week. The Japanese beetle is native to Japan and was first detected in the United States around 1916 when 
larval stages of the insect inadvertently were shipped in nursery material from Japan for the World's Fair, according to Melissa Schreiner, CSU Extension Entomologist in Extension's Tri-River area. The beetle eats more than 300 species of plants, including grapes, peaches, sweet corn, trees, turf grass, and ornamental plants, damaging the plants in the process. Beside the potential for harming local homeowners' landscaping, if the beetle outbreak goes unchecked, it could potentially harm local growers of peaches, grapes, and other crops, reducing crop yields by as much as 10%. It could also add considerably to growers' costs for managing the pest, and if they are subject to quarantine rules, that would include inspection and treatment measures to export things such as peaches to other areas. The outbreak also could impact local agritourism. It would be a huge devastation to all the farmers and growers' livelihoods, as well as the tourism that Palisade brings in. Ashley Shear of Noland Orchards told the Sentinel editorial board. Speaking to county commissioners on Tuesday, Mona Dyer with Bookcliff Gardens encouraged quick action to battle the beetle before it becomes a big problem for the fruit industry and local landscaping. Time is of the essence. The life cycle of this particular pest is upon us. They will very soon start nibbling at the grass roots, and shortly thereafter they will start to emerge and breed and lay more eggs, and then we will really have a problem, she said. Daniel said Tuesday that when it comes to the county acting on the beetle, quote, in a day and age when government often moves at a snail's pace, I can assure you this will not happen on my watch. The green and orange colored beetle already is a problem on the, the front range, but has struggled to cross to the west of the Rocky Mountains. A state quarantine lets nursery stock enter the state only if treated with insecticides or certified to be free of the insect. The state also requires front-range nurseries and landscapers to make sure that plant material from the front range is certified to be free of the beetle before being transported elsewhere in the state. Duncan Deerduff noxious weed and pest management coordinator for Mesa County, said the most likely explanation for the current local outbreak is that, despite the state quarantine measures, some sod was brought to one of the developments in the area without going through the proper measures. He said it's going to be hard to determine the property where the outbreak began 
given that 240 beetles were trapped in the hot spot last summer. The good news is that local efforts to control the beetle have succeeded before. When the Japanese beetle was discovered in Palisade in 2002, extensive trapping occurred in 2003 to determine its spread, and more than 1,200 beetles were trapped that year, according to Schreiner. But an aggressive effort starting the next year to eradicate it resulted in the area being free of the beetles by 2009. The beetles' numbers can increase exponentially, and the county is expecting to send an estimated $123,000 working with contractors to treat properties in the hotspot area. Residents there can expect to hear from the county this month with a request to consent to treatment of their lawns this spring. Homeowners also can buy grub control pesticides at garden centers. The county is recommending the pesticide acelaprin, sold under the trade name GrubX, which the Environmental Protection Agency considers less toxic than dish soap. While the county is offering to pay for treatments in the hotspot area, companies that do turf management there also will be adding grub control for treatment of customers' lawns in that area. Drying lawns throughout the summer also will kill the grubs. Homeowners can't be sure that their lawns will recover from drying, but also face likely damage from beetles if their lawns are infested and they do nothing. Although the county doesn't plan to force residents in the hotspot area to treat or dry their lawns, they're hoping their efforts to educate will succeed in convincing homeowners there to take one or the other approach for the good of the county more widely. Commissioner Cody Davis said Tuesday the approach will be cooperative and mindful of private property. He acknowledged it will be a struggle to get some landowners to treat or dry their lawns, but he said he doesn't see other options to dealing with the problem. One way or another, we're going to try and get buy-in on this, he said. The county is urging landowners living outside the hotspot to consider treating their lawns as well. People who have found what they think is a Japanese beetle can contact CSU Extension Services, 2775 Highway 50, at 970-244-1834 and send Extension a picture or take the beetle in for identification. Schreiner told the commissioners Tuesday that when she was in graduate school, she worked on the beetle issue when the insects were establishing themselves on a large scale on the front range. I personally have seen the devastation that this beetle can cause at scale, she said.
The next front page article is entitled Council, City Council Candidates Talk Priorities at F Forum and was written by Sam Klomhaus of the Grand Junction Sentinel. Seven candidates for up for grabs city council seats in April's election discussed their top priorities with the Grand Junction Lions Club on Tuesday. At-large candidate Scott Bielfus said his top priority is housing. Bielfus said Grand Junction needs more housing for people who make less than the area median income. We've all heard stories about people moving away because they don't have housing, Bielfus said. The other candidate in the at-large race, Diane Schwenke, said her highest priority would be managing the city's budget and the many projects that come with it. Schwenke also said she would manage the budget to prioritize easing congestion and increasing road capacity. District A candidate Cody Kennedy said his top priority is public safety. Kennedy said his experience as a police officer in Grand Junction helps him understand what the working experience for officers is like when the department is short-staffed. Jamie Porta, also running for District A, said her top priority is housing and talked about the issue from an employee's side of things. Porta said wages haven't kept up with the cost of living, and she wants to increase wages for city employees in the field. Porta also said she wants to get more input on how the city is run from the city's lower-level employees who are in the field. The other District A candidate, Sandra Weckerly said her top priority is planning and zoning. Touting her planning commission experience, Weckerly said a lot of the safety and efficiency issues with the city could be addressed with smart planning. District B candidate Jason Nguyen said his top priority is housing and also talked about addressing public safety for the whole city, not just the city and fire department, and doing things like making bicycle and pedestrian travel safer. What are we doing to protect folks who don't have any other options for getting around town, Nguyen said. The other District B candidate at the debate, Greg Hates, said his top priority is to improve efficiency for city government. Hates said he wants less gridlock in city systems and more input from outside stakeholders on issues. Candidates were also asked how they plan to improve the business climate in Grand Junction. Schwenke said Grand Junction needs to have a strong foundation and regular regulatory environment for businesses and incentivize large primary employers to move to Grand Junction. 
For Bielfus, the city should try to keep incentive money in the community, referencing an incentive deal with Greeley-based Richmark companies to redevelop the old city market property on 1st Street and Rood Avenue. Handing our money over to Greeley, which they promptly invested in an affordable housing project in Greeley, Bielfuss said, so our money is funding affordable housing, just not here. Kennedy referenced the labor shortage in town and said that is partially connected to the housing crisis. Kennedy also said the fees the city levels toward business owners are too high. It just seems unnecessary, he said. Weckerly also said the city's impact fees for businesses have gotten too high. Porta said the most common reason she has heard for small businesses failing is lack of qualified employees, which is something that needs to be addressed by the entire community. Hates said making Grand Junction a better and more attractive place for families would help improve the business climate. Nguyen said the city needs to have clear policies around regulation and make it easy for people to know what they can and can't do. Anna Stout, who is running unopposed in District C, gave remarks but didn't participate in the debate. Michael Dwell, who is running in District B, was not at the debate. All Grand Junction voters vote in every race not just those in their districts. And the last front page story is a national and international one entitled Survivors of Deadly Mexico Abduction Return to America. And it was written by Alfredo Pena, Fabiola Sanchez, and Travis Lawler of the Associated Press, reporting from Ciudad Victoria, Mexico. A road trip to Mexico for cosmetic surgery veered violently off course when four Americans were caught in a drug cartel shootout, leaving two dead and two held captive for days in a remote region of the Gulf Coast before they were rescued from a wood shack officials said Tuesday. Their minivan crashed and was fired on shortly after they crossed into the border city of Matamoros on Friday as drug cartel factions tore through the streets, the region's governor said. A stray bullet also killed a Mexican woman about a block and a half away. The four Americans were hauled off in a pickup truck, and Mexican authorities frantically searched as the cartel moved them around, even taking them to a medical clinic to create confusion and avoid efforts to rescue them. Tamaulipas Governor Americo Villarreal said, they were found Tuesday in a wooden shack, guarded by a man who was arrested, 
in a rural area east of Matamoros called Idio Tocolite on the way to the Gulf called Baghdad Beach, according to the state's chief prosecutor, Irving Barrios. The surviving Americans were whisked back to U.S. soil on Tuesday in Brownsville, the southernmost tip of Texas and just across the border from Matamoros. The convoy of ambulances and SUVs was escorted by Mexican military Humvees and National Guard trucks with mounted machine guns. A relative of one of the victims said Monday that the four had traveled together from the Carolinas so one of them could get a tummy tuck surgery from a doctor in Matamoros. The governor said the wounded American, Eric Williams, had been shot in the left leg and the injury was not life-threatening. It's quite a relief, said Robert Williams, 38-year-old Eric's brother, reached by telephone Tuesday in North Carolina. I look forward to seeing him again. Robert Williams was not sure if the other survivor, Latavia Burgess, was the one seeking the surgery. The survivors were taken to Valley Regional Medical Center with an FBI escort, the Brownsville Herald reported. A spokesperson for the hospital referred all inquiries to the FBI. The two dead, Shade Woodard, age 33, and Zindel Brown, in his mid-twenties, will be turned over to U.S. authorities after forensic work at the Matamoros morgue, the governor said. Video and photographs taken during and immediately after Friday's abduction show the American's white minivan sitting beside another vehicle with at least one bullet hole in the driver's side window. A witness said the two vehicles had collided. Almost immediately, several men with tactical vests and assault rifles arrived in another vehicle to surround the scene. The gunman walked one of the Americans into the bed of a white pickup, then dragged and loaded up the three others. Civilian motorists sat silent, silently in their cars, hoping not to draw attention. Two of the victims appeared to be motionless. The shootings illustrate the terror that has prevailed for years in Matamoros, a city dominated by factions of the powerful Gulf drug cartel that often fight among themselves. Amid the violence, thousands of Mexicans have disappeared in Tamaulipas State alone. And now we turn over to page two, and the, the top story there is entitled, Garco Sheriff Cleared of Campaign Finance Complaint, and it was written by Charles Ashby of the Grand Junction Sentinel. 
Garfield County Sheriff Lou Vallario has been cleared of any wrongdoing in a campaign finance complaint filed against him last year. Although the Colorado Secretary of State's office has deemed the complaint worth investigating, it has since dismissed it after completing that investigation. The complaint, filed by an out-of-state political action committee, alleged that Vallario violated Colorado campaign finance laws for allegedly using his office to promote the re-election campaign for U.S. Representative Lauren Boebert, a silt Republican who lives in Vallario's county. The complaint alleged that Vallario used his official work email account to send a message to unknown recipients promoting Bobert and denouncing her then GOP primary opponent, now former state senator Don Corum, a Republican of Montrose. I've been an elected official for 20 years and this is not my first rodeo. Vierio said in a statement, I am fully aware of my boundaries within the law. It is unfortunate that people from out of state do not understand nor take the time to become educated on Colorado law. The complaint was filed last September by American muckraker PAC director David Wheeler, who works against terrible polls from his North Carolina home. It came after Wheeler was trying to get details about an incident in August when the sheriff's deputies responded to complaints from some of Bobert's neighbors about her husband, Jason, and one of the congresswoman's sons. Those complaints alleged the unidentified son was speeding in an off-road vehicle on their sh shared roadway and that Jason Bobert had allegedly run over their mailboxes after they complained to him about it. At the time, the sheriff's office told the Daily Sentinel that by the time five of its deputies arrived on the scene, the incident had been settled among the neighbors, something some of those neighbors later disputed. Under Colorado law, while elected officials are permitted to express their personal opinions, it can be a violation of campaign laws to use taxpayer-funded offices, equipment, or resources to do so, according to the Colorado Fair Campaign Practices Act. In his email, written from Avallario's GarcoSheriff.com account, the sheriff wrote that Bobert was, quote, the only candidate in the Republican primary supporting law enforcement and encouraged recipients to vote for her. He also called Corum downright awful to law enforcement. Vallario called the complaint politically motivated and frivolous. So the remainder of page two is taken up with one large article entitled Candidate Q&A, and it was written by the Sentinel staff. 
With the Grand Junction City Council election coming up on April 4th, the Daily Sentinel sent questionnaires to the candidates running in opposed races. The candidates in this year's election are in District A, Cody Kennedy, Jamie Porta, and Sandra Weckerly. They are running to serve a two-year term in the seat recently held by Rick Taggart. District B, Michael Duell, Greg Hates, and Jason Nguyen are running to replace Phil Pea. In the at-large seat, Scott Bielfus and Diane Schwenke are running to replace Chuck McDaniel. In District C, incumbent Anna Stout is running unopposed. So the first question and answer is from Cody Kennedy. The quest, first question, why would you be a good fit on city council? And what would you say is a primary issue for you? He responded, having served as a Grand Junction Police Department officer and working closely with fire and dispatch for almost two decades, I am the only public safety expert among the candidates or council members. I understand the current public safety crisis and can bring solutions to the table. Grand Junction must have adequate police and fire protection. The second question, given the recreation center issue on the ballot, how should the city manage its current recreation amenities? And what amenities need to be added? If the rec center measure fails, do you support putting it back on a future ballot? Kennedy responded, the city should manage recreational amenities in a way that benefits all of Grand Junction. I also hope we can find a reasonable solution to the Orchard Mesa pool situation that meets the needs of citizens in Orchard Mesa. Yes, I support the rec center now and in the future. Next question. What was one decision the council has made recently that you particularly agreed with or disagreed with and why? Kennedy answered, I disagreed with the decision to put issues on the ballot regarding short-term rental lodging taxes. Both of these taxes were put forward with the goal of raising money to subsidize affordable housing. Good. But put disproportionate burden and blame on a group of small business owners. Bad. Question. What do you view as the city's biggest need regarding housing, and how should the city go about addressing that? Kennedy answered, The low housing inventory in Grand Junction is causing hardships for potential renters and buyers. The city should encourage smart infill by focusing on and encouraging ADUs, that stands for Accessory d Dwelling Units, neighborhood-appropriate multifamily, streamlined planning processes, more accommodating zoning, and changing the code prohibiting more than four unrelated people from cohabitating. Question. If there is one area of the city that needs more resources, which is it? Kennedy answered, public safety. 
Currently our dispatch center is staffed at 50%. We're down about 30 police officers and we desperately need additional firefighters. Our community deserves a functioning public safety system. By strategically allocating resources, this problem can be addressed and mitigated. It's more about it's it's more than funding. Knowledge is key. And last question, the process of getting the marijuana applications finalized has been long and not without controversy. As a candidate, we'd like to hear what you think of how that process has been handled. And if you think there is a way it could have been done differently or more efficiently. The process should have been handled with more transparency, like most city business. I have spoken with people tasked with this process, and when you understand the details, the timeline makes sense. The real problem here was the lack of managing public expectations regarding when the shops would open. And these were all answers from Cody Kennedy, who is 49 years old. His occupation is property manager. He's lived in Grand Junction for 20 years. And his favorite thing about living in Grand Junction is the sense of community. The next Q&A was done with Jamie Porta. First question, why would you be a good fit on the city council and what would you say is a primary issue for you? I'd be good on council because I will provide balance to current business and developer interests and will work to be a voice for average working people of the city. Primary issues are the attainable housing, living wages, and robust urban trails to connect all city amenities and attractions. Question number two. Given the recreation center issue on the ballot, how should the city manage its current recreation amenities and what amenities need to be added? If the rec center measure fails, do you support putting it back on a future ballot? Answer. Fully fund all maintenance programs to protect previous and current amenities and value the taxpayers' investments. Don't expect more if you don't take care of what you already have. Grand Junction should build multiple smaller centers spread equitably around the city with meeting rooms, a flexible gymnasium, and childcare areas. It's frustrating, but yes, I'd put it on the ballot again. Years back, we voted down a measure to build a new police building, but the city built one anyway. Let's discuss that possibility or other ways to get these important projects started. Question three, what was one decision the council has made recently that you particularly agreed with or disagreed with and why? The junction, Old City Market, began with 10% affordable housing units. Council pivoted to an economic development project rather than affordable housing, and it feels like bait-and-switch. When giving $6 million in incentives, we should insist on a minimum 10% 
or else focus that money toward real solutions. Question 4. What do you view as the city's biggest need regarding houses, housing, and how should the city go about addressing that? Answer. There are many vacant houses, three just on my block. Let's impose fees to discourage blight and encourage occupancy. Copy what Fruta just proposed with the Muse address, the attainable housing need with mixed income housing, and create quality housing attainable to people earning between 30 and 120% of the area median income. Question 5. If there is one area the city needs more resources, which is it? Answer. Orchard Mesa doesn't have many amenities, but I'd ask them if they really want more. An area of city government that needs much more resources is code enforcement. That goes back to taking care of what you already have. And the last question, the process of getting the marijuana applications finalized has been long and not without controversy. As a candidate, we'd like to hear what you think of how that process has been handled and if you think there is a way it could have been done differently or more efficiently. Answer, absolutely. Palisade granted permits three weeks after the voters passed it. I dislike constantly reinventing the wheel. Find somewhere that's done a similar thing successfully and copy it. Review and change it as needed to fit Grand Junction. We should have limited arcades and be working on therapeutic syllabin by now. And those were answers from Jamie Porta. Her age is six, or, sorry, 42. Her occupation is electrical meter technician. She's lived in the Grand Junction area for 28 years, and her favorite thing about living in Grand Junction is the climate and outdoor amenities. And then the last candidate interviewed in this article is Sandra Weckerly. The first question posed to her was, why would you be a good fit on city council, and what would you say is a primary issue for you? Her answer, my experience as a Grand Junction Planning Commissioner and 25 years working in the housing industry has prepared me to be an effective city councilor. 60 to 70 percent of the issues the city decides are land planning. I have an understanding of our comprehensive plan and zoning code to ask the right questions. Question number two. Given the recreation center issue on the ballot, how should the city manage its current recreation amenities and what amenities need to be added? If the recreation center measure fails, do you support putting it back on a future ballot? She answered, the City Council should maintain all of its facilities, including the Orchard Mesa Pool, and figure out how to solve the ownership of that property. Our city needs indoor turf fields eventually. We need to see how the marijuana tax comes in and decide where to go from there with rec facilities. Question 3. 
what was one decision the council has made recently that you particularly agreed with or disagreed with and why? I agree with the council's support and increase in pay to all police officers. Grand Junction now pays fairly competitive in relation to other Colorado communities, leading to a solution to our uniformed officer shortage. The most important thing the city can do for public safety is funding and support. Question 4. What do you view as the city's biggest need regarding housing, and how should the city go about addressing that? Affordable and attainable housing is our biggest need. I support financial incentives as waived or discounted impact fees. All incentives must be tied to deed restrictions and have drawbacks based on performance. City contributions to help with environmental mitigation properties would make the biggest impact on affordability. Question 5. If there is one area of the city that needs more resources, which is it? Her answer, I do think there is an opportunity for the city to deeply analyze its spending and budgets and move money into departments that need more funding. Addressing homelessness and the mental health and addiction services related to that are what needs more resources immediately. And the last question, the process of getting the marijuana applications finalized has been long and not without controversy. As a candidate, we'd like to hear what you think of how that process has been handled and if you think there is a way it could have been done differently or more efficiently. She answered, the city should have taken the advice of the planning commission and not tried to make the process so site-specific. Many planning commissioners, including me, pointed out the variety of problems that arise with mandating the tying of a selected site to a license. Sandra Weckerly is 52 years old. Her occupation is small business owner. She has lived in Grand Junction for seven years, and her favorite thing about living in Grand Junction is the people and the community. Now turning to page three, the top story there is Grand Junction High School wins Quiz Bowl state title and Team B takes second, written by Nathan Deal of the Grand Junction Sentinel. The Grand Junction High School academic team has continued its run of statewide success in recent years with another major trophy, the program's third Quiz Bowl state title. The Tigers competed in the Quiz Bowl State Championships at Weld Central High School on March 4th. The A-team, Sam Gadat, Kaylin McKim, Alexander Chang, and Stuart Collins won the state championship. And the B-team, Magali Luna, Logan Joachim, Maddie Kawasaki and Mary McComb finished right behind them in second place. This was the most dominant of the Tigers' Quiz Bowl titles, as it was the first time Grand Junction has taken the top two spots in the state championship event. 
I am incredibly proud of them, Grand Junction High School academic team head coach Cody Shawcroft said. To place first and second at a tournament that's statewide and a national qualifier with excellent teams there shows how hard that they work and how much they work together. You can't do that if you don't really work well as a team. And they really did come together as a team, both our A and B team. The, these are people who didn't play this game before, before last year. So this is really a year's turnaround and a year of work that our whole team has put in. And it's really paid off. Grand Junction will look to defend its Knowledge Bowl state title from last year in the Knowledge Bowl state championship on March 14th, 13th and 14th at the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley. Last year, winning the Knowledge Bowl state title clinched the Tigers' spot in the high school national championship tournament in Atlanta. This year, Grand Junction is already locked into another trip to the tournament because of its Quiz Bowl victory. And Shawcroft believes past experience in the tournament will benefit the Tigers this time around. We've grown so much as a team, Shawcroft said. Our teams are not the same ones that went last year. They're significantly better. They're way more experienced. They're way more confident in themselves. I can't say how we'll do because nationals are a whole different beast, but I like how this team looks and how they're playing. The high school national championship tournament will take place May 26th through the 28th at the Marriott Marquis and the Hilton in Atlanta. The second article on page three is 26 Road Shooting Victim Identified, and it was written by the Sentinel staff. The Mesa County Coroner's Office has identified 37-year-old Tyson Bratcher as the person killed in a shooting early Saturday morning near 26 and H Roads. Mesa County Coroner Dean Havlick said Bratcher's death was caused by a gunshot wound to the head and ruled the death a homicide. The Mesa County Sheriff's Office arrested 30-year-old Cameron Potter after police said he fled the scene of the shooting. Potter has not been charged with anything related to the shooting, the investigation into which is ongoing but he does face a litany of charges relating to his alleged run from law enforcement. After reports of gunfire in the area, Mesa County Sheriff's deputies responded to the scene about 6.15 a.m. That's when they found Bratcher lying in the street with a fatal gunshot wound. A suspect vehicle was seen leaving the area at a high rate of speed, and a short pursuit occurred. The suspect vehicle slammed on the brakes, which caused a crash with Grand Junction Police Department patrol vehicle. The suspect fled on foot, but was soon located and taken into custody. 
minor injuries were reported as a result of the crash. The arrest affidavit for Potter is currently sealed by the court. Potter is being held at the Mesa County Jail on a $250,000 cash bond. And then the last page three article is entitled Council Approves 17.5 Acre Annexation Near Central High School. And it was written by Sam Klomhaas of the Grand Junction Sentinel. Grand Junction City Council approved last week the annexation of a 17.42 acre parcel located at the northeast corner of 31 and E and a half roads. Grand Junction Principal Planner Nicole Galehouse said the annexation is being brought forward by the property owners in anticipation of full residential development on the site, although a specific development has not been proposed. There is no development proposed with this, said CART Planning's Ty Johnson, who is representing the property owners. This is solely annexation to prepare the property for development at some point in the future. Johnson noted any significant development on the site would trigger it being annexed into the city because of the Persigo Agreement. The property is owned by Phoenix-based developer Joe Gannett, according to the annexation petition. Council members Phil Pea and Dennis Simpson voted against the annexation. Council member Abe Herman noted the council was more constrained in how it was allowed to approach the vote because in annexation matters it is acting as a quasi-judicial body and not as a legislative body. Several property owners from the surrounding area spoke out against the annexation and rezone, saying they had concerns about the topography of the parcel, as well as concerns about the potential impact on traffic, infrastructure, and public safety. This is probably one of the worst traffic and infrastructure development proposals I have seen in 40 years as an engineer neighbor Carol Amond said. Amold said the local road network is unable to handle the increased traffic load of a development. I'm afraid there's too many questions on this to be annexed, neighbor Rod Hoover said, saying a zoning proposal for the property will not work. A second item relating to the parcel Zoning the parcel to allow 8 to 12 dwelling units per acre on the site was unanimously rejected by the City Council. The parcel had been zoned for up to 4 dwelling units per acre when it was in the county. Johnson said the applicant was asking for the 12-unit zoning because of a number of reasons, including eliminating minimum lot sizes. It just allows a little more creativity from a development standpoint, Johnson said. The Planning Commission had previously voted 6-1 to one to recommend denial of the zoning. 
Several nearby residents also spoke against the zoning application, citing traffic, safety, and utility concerns. We don't know what the proposed plan is, and it just seems like it just opens the door to way too much uncertainty, Bill Conrad said. I just don't see the wisdom of rezoning that, and it makes me doubt the wisdom of any kind of zoning if it can be done that easily. Gale House said statute requires the property to be rezoned within 90 days of annexation, and the area is designated residential medium in the city's comprehensive plan, which allows for zoning of 8 to 12 dwellings, dwelling units per acre, or R12, 5.5 to 8 dwelling units per acre, R8, community services, and recreation, and also mixed use. The zoning will now be referred back to the Planning Commission. Well, there was a great deal of news in today's paper, and that leaves little time for anything further. I will tell you a bit about the weather, and that will have to be it for today. Today, look for a partly cloudy, breezy day with a high of 54 and a low of 29. The Grand Valley's four-day outlook calls for Thursday to be very sunny with a high of 52 and a low of 34. Friday, look for rain showers with a high of 54 and a low of 45. Saturday looks like more rain coming with a high of 56 and a low of 37. Sunday, the sun will make a partial appearance again with an expected high of 55 and a low of 36. Sunset today will be at 6.14 p.m. and sunrise on Thursday will be at 6.35 a.m. The UV index is listed as a 4 today, which is considered to be moderate. Yesterday in Grand Junction, the high was 51 degrees at 3.59 p.m., and the low was 27 degrees at 1.46 a.m. The average high is 55, and the average low is 30. The record high came in 2020 when it was 70 degrees, and the record low came in 1971 when it was only 12 degrees. Thank you so much for joining me today for the Grand Junction Daily Sentinel. My name is Lori Hendrickson. I hope you have a great day and that you find a, a way, even a small way, to make it a great day for someone else. AINC presents your low vision resource of the day, Benefits in Action. This organization provides assistance in understanding, accessing, and utilizing healthcare resources. Learn more by visiting www.benefitsinaction.org. That's B E N E F I T S I N A C T I O N.
or calling 720-221-8354 or emailing info at benefitsinaction.org. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777. You're listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado.